1: boys and girls welcome back to basketball conference the ACC football podcast my name is Joey Weaver he is Mike McDaniel Mike week five is in the books it was a complete and total mess for both of our teams uh we are both on the road playing road games is the first time we've done this in quite a while uh first off how are you doing you ready to go
0: Ready to go. We had some audio issues initially, but so far so good here since we've hit record. And a couple minutes before that, we were chatting, and audio seems to be coming through better. So, hang with us here tonight. It is the first road game the two of us have played in quite some time.
1: Yeah, we uh, we apologize to be giving you guys an inauthentic basketball conference experience with um, good audio tonight. Apparently, it's it's not supposed to be this good. We know on this podcast, but uh, we'll we'll try to try to help make sure that you guys can hear us at the, at the very least. So. Mike, we've got eight games that happened this weekend that we got to recap. We will start with a place that we really – I didn't really think that we were going to be starting out. Um, Number one, Clemson 21, North Carolina 20. Uh, Mike, a game that was way, way closer than either of us ever thought it was going to be. And I I don't even really know how this happened. And I don't know if you do either, but, like, this game was – it was weird and uncomfortable, and, and like Clemson just could never quite pull away. North Carolina scores a touchdown late, I think with about a minute 15 to go. They go for two. You and I agree we like the decision to go for two. We did not like the play call going for two. And Clemson survives. Um, overall, not not the best day for Clemson's offense. Not really the best day for Clemson's defense. Um I mean, this was a a strong performance from North Carolina. They almost got it done here beating Clemson at home, but the Tigers survived, Mike.
0: This this was a very weird game. Uh, You look up and it's like, wow, Clemson, why are you in a really tight game with North Carolina? It's like, hey, Clemson, is North Carolina even any good? Mm -hmm. Like, we didn't really know, Joey, right? Like, we talked about North Carolina – um, the recap show last week, we talked about during the mailbag, like we don't really know what North Carolina is right now. And it's kind of been, uh, you know, you ratcheted up to the fact that, hey, off the bat, they beat a bad South Carolina team, a team that I don't think is very good. They beat a Miami team that doesn't appear to be all that good. Uh, they lose to, and now 5-0 and undefeated Wake. They lose to App State as well. And you're like, well, you know what? Maybe Wake Forest and App State really aren't all that bad. Maybe they're two better teams on North Carolina's schedule. And maybe North Carolina's beating the teams they should, and maybe they're losing to the teams they should. So, like... How good or bad are they in year one under Mac Brown? We really don't know. Just a little bit of inconsistency off the bat. And then all of a sudden, North Carolina's hanging with Clemson at home. And I'm wondering, well, does this say more about North Carolina or does it say more about Clemson? Like, Joey, let's call it what it is. Clemson has not looked all that sharp. This has been now a two- or three-week thing. Like, they didn't look... They looked great in week one against Georgia Tech, but as we'll talk about a little bit later, it seems like everybody looks good against Georgia Tech right now. Um, you know, they have a game against Texas A&M where they didn't play their best football and they found a way to get it done. They were pretty suffocating defensively in that game. Uh, Kellen Mond really couldn't get much going. And it's just been kind of an uneven show here for Clemson now as they move to five and zero on the year after this victory over North Carolina. I, I really don't know. I mean, Syracuse is bad, so you chalk that up to, okay, well, good on you for beating a bad Syracuse team. You blow the doors off Charlotte. Then you get into this weird game with North Carolina, and Clemson has one of these that they play every year, Joey, and maybe this is the one, and this is the one to wake them up, but so far, the thing that's been most troubling for me about Clemson's offense is that they really haven't been able to have the firepower to pull away from teams. I know that's a really strange thing to say, but like, Trevor Lawrence, yeah. you know, despite Clemson looking okay on offense to date, like Trevor Lawrence hasn't looked all that good and it's all relative, right? Cause he's still a good quarterback and he's, he goes 18 of 30 on Saturday for a touchdown pass. So it's not like the worst numbers in the world. He completed almost two thirds of his passes, but and the short to intermediate passing game for Clemson right now, is just a real work in progress. And the running game for as good as Travis Etienne was off the bat for Clemson this year, like, it's been kind of quiet here the last few weeks. So I'm not really sure what to think of this Clemson offense right now. Obviously the defense is, you know, replacing talent up front in the front seven that we talked about. Maybe it's the one game all year that Clemson, you know, you look at Clemson and you're like, all right, well, they played, they play and survive in a tight one. And then you look on the other side of North Carolina and look, wholeheartedly believe that they should have gone for two there at the end. In my opinion, you're North Carolina, you're, significantly deficient talent-wise to Clemson and you find yourself in the game at home, don't extend the game to overtime. Like in my opinion, the talent is most likely going to win out if you get to those extra periods, right? Um, I'm all for going for it and going for the win on one play. Running a speed option to the short side of the field that, by the way, Brett Fennibles turned to Dabo Swinney uh, that we found out after the game, turned to Dabo Swinney on the sideline. He said, we're probably getting a speed option to the short side here. He knew it was coming. And Clemson has so much speed defensively, laterally, that I really didn't understand that decision. Uh, Not just to go for it. I was cool with that. But the actual play call, I was not good with at all. Um, I think you either put the ball in the air there or you run something at the wide side of the field. Just really didn't understand the play call, but good for North Carolina to stick with it here. Clemson, they got some questions they need to answer, but, like, who are they going to lose to on their schedule? Like, I, it's just – it's a weak conference right now, Joey. We could have undefeated Clemson, not really tested until the ACC championship game. Even then, I'm not even really sure if they're going to be tested. We'll talk about Virginia here in a second, who has to be the favorite um, in the coastal. I, I don't think they're pushing Clemson either, by the way. Um, it's – they're a good team. There's some talent deficiency there as well, as we saw in the second half against Notre Dame. So I I don't know. Good game for North Carolina. Way to stick with it. Clemson, get it together, man, on offense. You got to you gotta figure it out and start pulling away from teams and looking a bit more decisive here.
1: Yeah, Clemson really looking very vulnerable times here in the early going. I, I'm with you. I, I am not at all sure what to make of North Carolina at this point. And it's, it's really weird that we're five games into the year. I mean, we're almost – almost halfway through the season and we're sitting here saying this about North Carolina it's like they're two and three and they've looked really good at times and they almost knocked off Clemson and they you know they got beat by App State and Wake and all this stuff I think one of the most telling things that we should probably note about North Carolina is that they've got three losses so far Mike do you know the combined record of the teams that North Carolina has lost to this year
0: uh they're undefeated
1: 14 and zero. yep Clemson, Wake Forest, and App State are 5-0, 5-0, and 4-0, respectively. So yeah, North Carolina's lost three times. And I I mean, it seems like it's a pretty good group of teams they've lost to. So how much does that mean? I don't necessarily know. Um, yeah, this is a weird spot for North Carolina to be in. And it's it's great that they got as close as they did to knocking this, this Clemson team off. I mean, it's Again, I think North Carolina is way better at this point than I really thought they were going to be in year one in an, under a new coaching staff. After back to back three and nine years, right? Like, it's a, it's a really good showing for them. Clemson, on the other hand, like you mentioned, I mean, they've this feels like this feels like Dabo's like driving a golf cart, and it's just got like that governor on it that it's only going to go so fast, like it's it's capped at fourteen miles an hour and. A couple of these teams are going to play or driving ATVs or something that are going to go faster than that, but they're also going to like careen off into a, a, a ditch or something at some point. And just thankfully, they haven't passed the golf cart yet, but not for a lack of trying. Um, I don't know what it is with Clemson. I, I mean, I, I've heard some chatter and some people referring to the idea that Dabo is trying to kind of govern this team for whatever, you know, you're going to be playing a or 15 game schedule, so don't. Really redline it in week two and week three. Like, let's slowly build up and be playing at max efficiency in November, and then we'll play in the playoff. And you know, every, everything else is is after that. But like, then again, I mean, if you're sitting here screwing around in September and you know, damn near losing games, like there might not be a playoff to uh, to keep playing in. So I'm with you. I'm, I'm nervous about what I've seen from Clemson so far. It's it's been pretty underwhelming. Um, A lot of the numbers with Trevor Lawrence right now are not all that impressive. He has not looked particularly sharp. Um, And again, it's early and, you know, there's a there's a lot more football to be played. But through five games, you know, there's a reason I think this this week that Clemson dropped from number one in the country to number two in the country, Mike. I, I think that's it's pretty clear there's a good reason for that at this point.
0: Yeah, and I'm not even sure, to be honest with you, they're like a top three or four team right now. I mean, I think they're living off of last year's results a little bit. Now, do I think they can get there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not sure there's any team quite as talented as Clemson, right? Like, Alabama's very good. Georgia's pretty vulnerable, in my opinion. I've been impressed with LSU, but they got to they gotta get through Alabama. Um, it's I, you know, Oklahoma hasn't played anybody yet. So let's wait, let's wait and see. I mean, we're not going to find out anything about them until they play Texas in a few weeks. There's a lot of questions still, right. About the overall college football landscape in regards to playoff. And I'm not betting against Clemson. and I know you're not either. We follow the cl- the conference as closely as anybody. It hasn't looked great off the bat for Clemson. You know, there are a couple teams that come to mind here coming off of a national championship that don't look quite as sharp the next year, even though they have high expectations, 2014 Florida State comes to mind 2016 Ohio State even more so comes to mind Uh, Florida State still lost a lot of talent on the offense and defensive side of the football in 2014 you look at that Ohio State team in 2016 I mean that was far and away the most talented team in the country and they never really looked good all year eventually lost uh, a couple of games and ended up playing in the Fiesta Bowl Um, it's just it's one of those things where like they haven't just really haven't looked all that sharp Clemson so far and It'll be really interesting to see what happens here as we move throughout the rest of the season. But I think if Trevor Lawrence cleans up his mechanics a little bit, like there's some room for improvement there, clearly. Um, he's missed high over the middle. He's missed high, you know, thrown to the boundary. I mean, there are some things that he needs to clean up. He just hasn't been as sharp. I think if he cleans those things up, it's one of those situations where Clemson can all of a sudden have that offense humming pretty quickly. And we're talking about them being a national power um, and, and a team that, you know, essentially can't be stopped on offense. And if we're talking about them in that context, they'll be right there in the playoff at year's end. Uh, no matter what happens throughout the rest of the season. I have a hard time seeing them lose throughout the rest of their schedule.
1: Yeah. Remaining schedule, Florida state at Louisville, Boston college, Wofford at NC state, wake South Carolina at South Carolina, excuse me. Uh, so, I mean, the next time that they're going to be in like, even like a comparable talent situation, probably the semifinal, probably the playoff yep. semifinal. So yeah, I mean, any loss between now and then is a, a very significant upset. You have to say, you have to think so. I think Clemson's in an okay spot. I think this is a bit of a glitchy moment. I think that, again, as the season goes on, they'll probably continue to get better, but this was a bit concerning. This is about as close as they've been to uh, losing in a long time here, Mike, so you need to keep an eye on them. Uh, Clemson, 21, North Carolina, 20. The other big game of the day, Mike, uh, Notre Dame, you're fighting Irish, 35. Virginia, you're Cavaliers, 20. Uh, This was a game that was a little bit I, I guess the, the final score was a little bit you know, farther stretched out than I thought it would be. In a lot of ways, I, I honestly think that it's not necessarily indicative of how close this game was for a long time. Um, Virginia held a lead at halftime. I mean, it was 17 to 14 at halftime. They were moving the ball well in the first half. They gave Notre Dame some problems. Ultimately, the thing that we talked about on the, on the previous show, and I think you in particular mentioned, Mike, was that. Virginia was going to have to figure out how to run the ball in this game. And that just absolutely did not materialize in any meaningful way. You'll look at the box score. It's going to say he had four rushing yards on 29 attempts. That's a bit in, you know, a bit skewed based on the fact that Bryce Perkins was sacked eight times in this game and, and those go against his rushing yards. So he shows negative 29 yards in the game. But even then, I mean, the rest of the team and in all the positive progress they made, I mean, they, they didn't even sniff hundred yards rushing, on the positive plays. So by far, they were not able to get the ball moving on offense and Notre Dame able to kind of pull away here in the second half a little bit and win by 15.
0: Yeah. Virginia's offense, I thought looked really good in the first half. I thought Bryce Perkins was pretty impressive overall throughout the first two quarters. He, I thought he was very, very good. uh, And, I mean, he's he's a good quarterback, Joey. I mean, he's a really, really good player. And Virginia is in a much different spot if he's not playing quarterback. And that can be said about a lot of teams in college football, so I want to overblow that. But he means so much to the Virginia Cavaliers offense. Just, you know, you look at the struggles they have running the football. And without Bryce Perkins making some of the plays that he makes through the air and uh, the mm-hmm. plays that he makes on his mm-hmm. feet this game notwithstanding with all the sacks that he endured, Um, This is a very different football team for Virginia. I mean, this offense goes as he goes, and it's very fragile in that regard. Because any injury to Bryce Perkins, and Virginia's toast. Um, Offensive line got overwhelmed here, Joey. Um, This reminded me a lot of the Louisville game um, at the beginning of the year for Notre Dame. So Notre Dame... You know, obviously messed around with Louisville a little bit in the first half. You know, we all came away pretty impressed with Louisville. And we said, hey, let's wait and see on Notre Dame. Like overall, they, they the talent won out in the second half. Similar situation here. Notre Dame's defense came out in the second half and absolutely dominated this football game. And I commend Brian Kelly and the coaching staff because we've seen this now a few different times where they have come out in the second half of football games and they have found a way to make enough adjustments to either A, make the game competitive, like against Georgia, and B, find a way to uh, change or turn the tide in a way that's meaningful. So defensively, especially, you know, Georgia threw some punches at Notre Dame a week ago, and Notre Dame was able to make some some pretty sharp plays uh, defensively in the second half, even though Georgia was able to move the ball and and score some points in the second half as we knew they would. Notre Dame's defense did still tighten up and still was able to make adjustments against Georgia's new looks offensively. We saw a similar thing here on Saturday. Um, Eight sacks given up by Virginia. Bryce Perkins turns the ball over. Ooh, a ton. Uh, He had two interceptions. I believe he fumbled three times, if that's correct.
1: Um, Yeah, Bryce Perkins turned the ball over five times by himself.
0: Yes, so that's not good. For all the good that he did, Mm -hmm. he was under a ton of duress in the second half. Mm -hmm. Uh, Akwara and uh, Khalid Kareem on the interior defensive line for Notre Dame took the game over, Joey. There was a fumble return for a touchdown. There was a fumble return deep in Notre Dame territory. They intercepted Bryce Perkins, like we said, eight sacks. Um, Notre Dame ran the ball very well in this game. Tony Jones Jr., career high, 131 yards and three touchdowns. So we talked about his importance and getting him back, Joey, and getting him back healthy and um, having him at 100%. He got a little bit banged up uh, in the Georgia game. They were asking him to do a ton, and they were able to kind of reduce reduce his workload a little bit 131 yards on 18 carries that's a pretty strong day over seven yards per rush um Ian Book continues to look a little bit rough around the edges at times but makes enough plays through the air to make things interesting he was 17 to 25 in this game from 165 so he played pretty well and the offense keeps moving and you know if anything Ian Book continues to turn turn in efficient numbers, even if they aren't too flashy off the table. And with the way Notre Dame tends to run the football and the way the defense has been playing, that might be all they need to get through the rest of their schedule, Joey, and make things really, really interesting in regards to the college football playoff at year end. But Notre Dame's defense is elite, and that's my biggest takeaway in this game. Uh, more, It says more about Notre Dame than it does about Virginia. I came away impressed by Virginia, but this is a situation in the second half where – Virginia's offensive line just got murdered up front, and Notre Dame's defense just took it over. And you saw the depth of Notre Dame and the separation between what makes Notre Dame a very, very good team and what makes Virginia just you know, a good team in the ACC, but not quite at that level yet.
1: Yeah, to me, Mike, the story of the game is that Virginia comes out in the second half with a 17-14 lead. They get the ball right out of halftime. And from there, the drive chart looks like this. <coughs> Punt. Fumble, fumble, uh, a fumbled punt, excuse me. So it was a three and out. Turnover on downs. Fumble return for a touchdown. Three and out. Interception. Field goal. Interception. Uh, that's not good. That's not yeah. good. Um, yeah. So, no. <laughs> I mean, Virginia barely even able to get a first down in the second half up until a 12-play drive that finally resulted in a field goal uh, that pulled the game, I guess, you know, within 18, so it made it a two-score game, but, I, you know, not great. Not great. Um,
0: to Joey, real quick, two drives defensively for Notre Dame tells the entire story of this game. It's the very first drive of the second half where Virginia kicks an onside kick, recovers it, and then Notre Dame forces them to punt. That was a huge stop.
1: Yeah. A huge stop. Yeah, I missed that part. Yeah, you're correct. Yep.
0: So there's that. I mean, Virginia's up 17-14. They recover an onside kick. Notre Dame promptly makes UVA punt, which is a gigantic stop, considering where the Irish were at in the football game at that point in time to start the second half. You take the take the momentum completely out of the building with that recovered onside kick, but all of a sudden the defense just comes to life, which yep. it had looked kind of you know up and down in that towards the end of that first half, and then uh, Chris Fink muffs the punt. Uh, I believe that was late third quarter, early fourth quarter, and Virginia only gets three out of it. So that's another significant stop for Notre Dame in this football game. They they made a lot of stops defensively. They ended up telling the tale when Virginia had opportunities to score and and you know put their stamp on the game. Notre Dame's defense came to life.
1: Yeah, I I will say I was impressed by Bryce Perkins' passing performance. I mean, I thought he played really well from the, in the passing game at the very least. But again like you mentioned, I mean, just an outstanding defensive effort by Notre Dame and, and what they were able to do to bottle up that Virginia run game and, and really make them one dimensional and ultimately come away with a pretty comfortable win here in the second half. So uh, good performance from the Irish. Um, I I thought it was a reasonably honorable performance from the Cavs. You know, they almost covered and, and they, you know, they put a scare into Notre Dame and all this, you know, but it's, it's clear here that just because Virginia is the favorite in the coastal does not mean that they are some really major player on the national stage. And I think this is kind of what you saw here. So, uh, in any case, Notre Dame 35, Virginia 20, let's move on. Mike, your Hokies had it rough on Friday night, Duke 45, Virginia tech 10. I'm going to, I'm going to throw out one thing here. Uh, and then I'm just going to let you go for a minute. Uh, We were texting back and forth Friday night. I don't even know that you were even able to watch this game, at least from a live perspective. But as we were texting, one of the things that I I said to you and you agreed with was this feels like the kind of game that's going to get somebody fired at Virginia Tech. And that that really just seems to be the case with kind of the way this all turned out. And to make it all worse on Virginia Tech's home field, to do this in front of the home crowd was a disaster for the Hokies.
0: It was a disaster Um, on no planet is Duke 35 points better than Virginia Tech, except in 2019, where nothing Mm -hmm. has gone right for Virginia Tech. Um, This is the fan base is pissed, Joey. The fan base is very, very, very mad online. Let's put it that way. Um, This is what I've read this week. I've read things such as fire everybody, bring back Shane Beamer as the head coach. We are on that level of crazy oh, on, on the Virginia Tech Twitter oh,
1: world. That's on Twitter? That seems like 4chan-level stuff. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I've also heard this, Joey. I've heard, why don't we make Bud Foster, the head coach, hire an offensive coordinator to take over for him once he actually retires?
1: I I, I mean... Okay, sure. <laughs> well...
0: It ain't happening. There's probably a reason that that guy's not
1: the AD. Put it that way.
0: Correct. There's a reason why. Yes. There's also a reason why Foster's never been a head coach, right? (laughs) Like, there's reasons behind that that I won't get into on this particular (laughs) podcast tonight. Um, Anyway, Mm -hmm. he's retiring at the end of the year, so Shane Beamer ain't coming back to Blacksburg. I don't know. Look, he's he's got this much head coaching experience, zero. Like if Virginia Tech is going to fire Fuente, I'm telling you what they're doing. They're hiring an experienced Power Five head coach. They're not going the group of five head coach route. They're not going as a rising assistant route who's never been a head coach. They're turning the <laughs> fucking sorry. They're turning the thing around. I'll edit that out. They're turning the thing around with somebody who's done this before. This isn't going to be the Shane Beamer, Bud Foster back-to-the-future-revival story. Like, that's not what this is going to be. Now, back to the current the current team and the current staff. Um, Brad Cornelison, uh offensive coordinator, his days are numbered, Joey. Mm-hmm. His days are numbered. This ain't looking good. This ain't looking hot for Virginia Tech. Mike, can I,
1: can I jump in real um, quick? Please. We welcome you back here to the Virginia Tech Run Pass Balance Report. As a team that is a notably, notably bad rushing football team, Virginia Tech in this game, 20 passing attempts, 43 rushing attempts, Mike. They ran the ball more than twice than they tried to pass it. For a team that we agree, once again, the strength of this team, A, decidedly not rushing the ball, B, decidedly the wide receiver core. And the wide receiver is just not really allowed to touch the ball at all, which I guess is one way you could call your offense
0: there's so many things I disagree with from the offensive play calling perspective that I know a lot of Virginia tech fans are going to agree with me on. Number one, we tend to run a lot of jet sweeps. Sometimes we run them with our tight ends, which, you know, call me crazy, but I think if you're going to run a jet sweep, you're going to want to do it with a wide receiver with some speed. I have seen James Mitchell, who is one of several tight ends that Virginia tech uses on a regular basis run jet sweeps on more than one occasion this year. That is unacceptable. That ain't going to do it chief. Ain't going to do it. Um, Trey Turner, who's one of Virginia Tech's most athletic wide receivers, did not touch the football in this game. So, I mean, explain that to me.
1: Uh, um, I got nothing.
0: Okay, no problem. Um, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Joey. Trey Turner touched the ball once. It was on jet sweep, and he lost four yards. Um, yeah, not good. Virginia Tech's quarterback room. This is a quarterback room featuring Ryan Willis, a transfer brought in under Justin Fuente. He has been atrocious this year for the Hokies. He looked pretty good last year in relief of Josh Jackson. He's been really, really bad this year. He's battling a foot injury. I don't care. He looked bad before that. He ain't a fit for the offense. He's not a fit for what Brad Cornelson wants to run. You think of when Virginia Tech's offense has been very good under Fuente, they've run the ball well with their quarterback, a la Gerard Evans. Um, Ryan Willis ain't that guy, Joey. He ain't that guy. And you know what's even more troubling? Yeah, you know what's even more troubling? They have two quarterbacks behind Ryan Willis, both Justin Fuente recruits. Number one, Hendon Hooker out of North Carolina. Number two, Quincy Patterson out of Chicago, Illinois. Quincy Patterson is an elite 11 quarterback who can't crack the top two on the depth chart quarterback. He's now in his second year with the second full year with the program. Uh, that's a problem. You ain't developing the quarterback room. You are a quarterback guru, Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson. You guys are supposed to have it together with the quarterbacks. You have not developed either Hendon Hooker or Quincy Patterson enough to give the coaching staff any confidence that these guys are going to be able to perform on a regular basis. And that's why we
1: haven't seen them much. With that being said, Joe, I mean go we, ahead. We, we saw we saw a little glimpse of both of those guys during this game. And in a weird way, like it, it's not like they you know, set the offense on fire when they came in, but it seemed like there was at least a little bit more of a spark there than when Willis was in the game.
0: Correct. Um, Hendon Hooker's, like, attempted a handful of passes over his entire career at Virginia Tech. Justin Fuente this morning said in the press conference uh, to preview Miami, he said, oh, yeah, I'm comfortable with Hendon Hooker. He's made, you know, he's thrown the ball a lot, you know, when he's been in the game for Virginia Tech. Uh False. Fact check. That is false. He does not throw the football when he comes in the game. Neither does Quincy Patterson, for that matter. So they haven't developed the quarterback room. They don't have a quarterback that's fit for the offense right now. And the ones that are fit for the offense aren't playing because they don't have any confidence in them. That's on the coaching staff, Joey. Um, I don't care what way you slice it. Now, let's back this up a step. Virginia Tech is playing with four seniors, now three. Um, Tyrell Smith, he's an offensive lineman, special teams player. He's out for the year with a patellar tendon injury. Virginia Tech ended the year with their four seniors. It was the least amount of seniors on any roster in college football. That's a fact. That's significant. They don't have any veteran leadership on this team. The guys who you would have counted on as veterans, like Eric Kuma, Chris Cunningham, Trayvon Hill, they were all behavioral issues. They all transferred. They were all bad apples in the room, and they were all written about in Sports Illustrated before the season started. Like, you're cleaning up the cultural issues at Virginia Tech by cleaning out some of your seniors. Now you're down to four of them. One of them's a core special teams player. You really have, like, three seniors, and one of them's Reggie Floyd on defense, who's been very good. Um, Outside of that, you don't have much. So that's a fact. Another fact, they have not run the ball well since 2011. That's that's a fact like they haven't had a running game since David Wilson, and that's really important to outline as well. That hasn't been fixed with the final years of Beamer, the new years of Fuente. Finally, Virginia Tech is starting two to three freshmen on the offensive line week in and week out, and they are not fully ready to play. And it shows you ain't getting the running game going. You're not getting the passing game going. It's ugly for Virginia Tech right now, but it's really easy to to slice up. Um, the fan base is really mad. I get it. Fuentes has got a $15 million buyout. It has to get really, really bad for him to be fired. Um, do I think it's on the table? Yeah, sure. Do I think it's going to happen? No. Um, I think what's going to happen is Foster's going to be gone, obviously, at year end for retirement, which is probably for the best. You have uh, Brad Cornelson, who's dead man walking as offensive coordinator. He's going to continue to call the plays for some reason. I don't know why. I think Virginia Tech's going to make a change from Cornelson to Fuente as far as play calling is concerned. You're going to see it after the second bye week uh, in all likelihood. You're not going to see it on uh, you know this week heading to the Miami game. I do think you'll see Hendon Hooker more quarterback. I think Ryan Willis is toast. I don't think he'll be playing a ton. Do I think Virginia Tech – Makes a bowl game now? Probably not. (laughs) Do I think they still can? I sure like I don't I don't know, but it needs to get a lot better than what we saw on Friday night. They are not 35 points worse than Duke. That was absolutely embarrassing. The worst loss, and probably. It's the worst home loss since 1974. Um, There are a couple of troubling statistics that keep coming out of Justin Fuente. It's it's not good. Um, You know, obviously, first losing season since 92 last year, and then you just have your worst home loss since 1974 against a Duke team that I'm not even really sure is that good. So that's also a problem. Um, But give credit where credit's due to Duke. Quentin Harris looked really good in this game, but Virginia Tech's in a bad spot. I don't want to sugarcoat it. I also. I'm not going to go scorched earth like the rest of the fan base is and suggest that Shane Beamer is the answer, like get it together, guys. Like I, I know it's bad, but let's not be stupid and hire somebody who's not a fit and set the program back 15 years. Let's be realistic about where we're at Virginia tech's recruiting. I know a lot of people are harping on that this week. For some reason, Virginia tech's brought in four top 30 recruiting classes under Justin Fuente. And given what he took over from Frank Beamer in the last few years, like, I'm not really sure what else you expect out of them. And it's not looking good for the 2020 recruiting class. I get it. But they didn't have a lot of scholarships to begin with there. You no, know, I, I get that they've had their misses, especially at running back. You miss on Ricky Slade and Devin Ford, two guys who are elite running back prospects who've gone to Penn State. And now you have trouble running the football. I get that's a problem. Offensive line, I, I get that it's been a problem. But they've recruited decently up front. Uh, the guys are just young there. Like they've done okay in a lot of position groups recruiting wise, Joey. It's gonna be overblown now. I I don't know how much you blame Fuente for recruiting. I would blame him for the development of the town on the roster more than what they've brought in recruiting wise, but that's just me. It's it's a mess in Blacksburg. Fans are going crazy and that's that's my rant.
1: I mean, that was that was exactly what I was gonna say, though, is like okay okay, well, great. Well, Fuente is recruited pretty well. I mean, this is year four, Mike like the better part of this roster are guys that he's recruited. And so at some point it doesn't matter what the rivals rankings and the 24, seven rankings say, if the results aren't there on the field and the players aren't all that talented and you're relying on transfers and blah, 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 Like at some point you're not recruiting well, like, or, or you're not developing well or something, you know? So that's, yeah. that's kind of my issue there is, yeah. it, you know, the sites can say one thing, but the f- results in the field are ultimately what really matters.
0: Yeah. I I'm, I'm with you there. My, my whole point is, You know, the Virginia Tech fan base right now on social media is going revisionist history, saying Fuente's never recruited well. And that's not the case. He's recruited fine. They haven't developed the talent well. That's the biggest issue. It's not the recruiting. It's the talent. And 2020's recruiting class looks bad. It's the worst in the ACC right now. And that's a problem. And that's significant. But people are taking that piece of information and now they're reverting it back four years and saying Fuente's never recruited well at Virginia Tech, which is a false statement. He has not developed. He and his staff have not developed the talent they've recruited. And this re- this recruiting class in 2020, there's no excuse to have the worst class in the ACC when you're at a school like Virginia Tech. But at the same time, the classes that he's recruited before then have been fine. They've been top 30 classes. The bigger issue is that they're not developing the talent across the board, but especially in the quarterback room. So that's all I was getting at there.
1: Yep, yep. I've got a couple more notes here on on this game before we move on. Um, I was going to say. So, first of all, you mentioned Quentin Harris looked really good in this game, and he did. Um, 20 of 27 passing for 160 yards and two scores, plus 17 carries for 100 yards and a touchdown on the ground. He was, I thought he was pretty instrumental in keeping the chain moving for Duke, uh, kind of keeping the offense moving down the field. Duke really had a hard time getting going in this game. Uh, The first quarter or so, they, I mean, they were pretty, pretty bad on offense, just outright. Um, I mean, the first couple drives were three and outs the second drive or the third drive. They had like one first down and then had a, you know, a quick punt, um, really where this whole thing seemed like it turned was in, early in the second quarter where, uh, Hennon hooker comes in for Virginia tech and there's a fumble Duke recovers, uh, on the 16 yard line. So it was a one play 16 yard touchdown drive from there that started to run where the drive chart looked like this, Mike touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Punt, field goal, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. So there was one of the final, what, seven drives for Duke that didn't result in points and only two of them that didn't result in a touchdown. Um, so once Duke really got it rolling, I mean, it just felt like, I don't I don't know if Virginia Tech was kind of quitting on them or what, but um, this thing really kind of snowballed on, on the Hokies pretty quickly. Only other note that I've got, and we talked a little bit about, oh yeah, this is Bud Foster's last year. I've started thinking about, and again, I, I texted you about, and we maybe want to keep an eye on a little bit is, I mean, Bud Foster's defense was not good last year. It's never really felt like it's been the same since Fuente took over for some reason or other, call it what you will. I'm almost in a place right now where I think if I'm Justin Fuente, am I, am I like doing myself, you know, more of a disservice by firing Bud Foster or by not firing Bud Foster? I mean, a guy like that who is such an institution in Blacksburg, he's been there for, what, 23 years or something like that. I mean, he's already said, I'm done after this year. So are, are you really going to turn around and kick that guy out six games before he's done anyways? Or are you going to keep living with the results that he's been giving you when, again, as on some level, Fuente's job is getting less and less stable every week? You know, I don't know. It really feels like a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of position for Fuente here.
0: Yep. No doubt. And there's a whole separate issue where there's a separation between, you know, the teams of old and and the new era. And, you know, they honored the 99 team that went to the national championship and lost to Florida State, the Michael Vick team in 99 that put Virginia Tech football on the map. They honored them on Friday night and in some strange comments coming out of the radio interview that Justin Fuente did, he said he didn't have a chance to speak with the 99 team. Yeah, that's not that's not good. And that's been an issue. So everybody talks about how smooth the transition was from Beamer to Fuente. But that's one thing the Hokies, you know, the whole athletic department has not really done too well is kind of connect with the teams of old and the legends of tech, right? And, and the people that put the program on the map and kind of made it what it was. Um, this is a more problematic issue. I mean, they were trotting out the, the 99 team on Friday night. Like they were, you know, the, the track team that just won an ACC championship or something. It wasn't like a significant thing. Like they honored them at halftime and did something brief before the game, but they really didn't, do anything more than that it was just very very weird you think for a 20-year anniversary they'd do some sort of video montages or something it just there's a disconnect in the athletic department and uh there's not enough focus on i think what's important right now and so that's kind of a larger issue but something i did want to just mention in passing
1: yep Duke 45, Virginia Tech 10. Let's quickly talk about my team. Temple 24, Georgia Tech 2. Uh, And that is not a typo. That is not a misnomer or a mistake that I made. No, Georgia Tech scored two points in this game. Uh, It was real bad for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Uh, Lucas Johnson did not start. He was not available in this game. I think dealing with some sort of injury, whatever, so, you, you got some Tobias Oliver. He was okay at times. He made a couple of really, really critical, terrible mistakes. Um, he had two fumbles in this game that directly cost Georgia Tech 14 points of a 22 point margin game. Uh, one where he was literally, you know, a foot from the end zone and the ball gets popped out and falls into the lap of a Temple defender. Another where. He got us you know, he was sacked. I think running around behind the line. Temple picks it up and runs it in for a touchdown. So that's two touchdowns of margin that was directly from Tobias Oliver fumbles, for what that's worth. Um, the offense continues to be a, a a train wreck, and that might be putting it nicely. I mean, it, it's it's terrible, um, Mike. They they cannot cannot get the ball moved at all, um, and it's I I will maintain that I. You're not going to mistake Georgia Tech's offensive talent for Clemson's offensive talent, or anything like that. If you put those guys next to each other, you're not going to have a hard time figuring out which is which. But at the same time, where the talent is maybe not ideal here, the play calling and, and the coaching continues to be a total disaster. Um, this is, uh, you know, this could be better for Georgia Tech, but it's clear at this point. Like, I, I don't know that they might they might not win another game this year. I don't know. I think the talent's there. I think it's possible, but I mean, defensively they're fine. And, and all I will maintain that as well is that defensively, I think they're, they're almost like top 40 in S and uh, SP plus in defensive rankings, right? Like Anthony Russo was held, you know, to pretty questionable numbers in this game. They, Temple did not have the easiest time getting the ball moving either. I mean, so much of their offense just came from a, a couple of short fields or whatever. So Defensively, Georgia Tech looks just fine, but offensively, it's just, it continues to be a total nightmare, and I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel for that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't see a win on the rest of the schedule. Maybe they beat Virginia Tech um, at home in November, and I think if that happens, maybe we're talking about Justin Fuente getting fired. Um, So. That could be a significant game in other ways. I, Yeah, I agree with you. I'm glad you brought that up. They play North Carolina at home uh, this Saturday. They have Duke. They're at Duke, at Miami, home against Pitt, at UVA, home against Virginia Tech, home against NC State, home against Georgia, which could be the cover of your eyes game of the year potentially. Um, I'll leave
1: that right there. That yeah.
0: could get ugly. You have yeah, the century. Like – I'm not sure they win another game either. (laughs) It's just so bad on offense. And I I agree with you. I think the defense has been fine. Um, It's actually been fine in spite of the offense being so, so terrible. It's actually kind of impressive to me. The defense has been as good as it has been. I mean, the offense can't do anything and that's the story of this game too. Like, you know, you mentioned no Lucas Johnson and you don't see any of him Tobias Oliver's turnovers were obviously pretty significant. And you know, Temple offensively they didn't, didn't really do a whole lot to blow you off the map. Um, it took them forty-nine carries as a team to get to one hundred and ninety-five yards. It's only like four yards a carry. They had two touchdowns on the ground. Um, yeah, I, I don't know.
1: It's Georgia Tech two for two for fourteen on third down. Yeah, it's just I not going to get it done, especially gosh. on the road. I I don't have much for you here. James Graham saw enough of the time. I, I think he gave us a nice spark. Um, I, I, I think there's potential there if you can get some consistency going. It, it's weird. Like I actually look at this schedule, and you look at those home games that are remaining for Georgia Tech, and if if somehow something happens and there's like an accident or a mistake or something, and this offense starts to click, I mean, I could make a case that they could win any or all of those home games with the exception of Georgia, right? you get UNC here a week after they, you know, shot their shot against Clemson. Now they got to go on the road, let down spot, all this stuff. You get Pittsburgh who we'll get to them a minute of what they are. Uh, You got Virginia tech on the, on the road, which, or Virginia tech coming to Atlanta, which how good are they at this point? We're really not convinced. And then you got NC state on a Thursday night at home, which again, not convinced of how good they are at this point either. So it's like, if you could just somehow find a way to get this offense to click, you could win any of those games, really. Um, it's It's been so consistently bad so far that I just don't believe it's going to happen at this point. But, you know, it, it's something to keep an eye on. There's potential there if, if you could figure anything out at all. But I, I don't love where nope, they're
0: at. Neither do I. But it's year one. So here we are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'll just be patient. That's all I got. Temple 24, Georgia Tech 2. Let's keep moving, Mike. Um, Two more conference games here we got to hit on. Uh, Wake Forest 27, Boston College 24. This was a dangerous spot for Wake Forest. Boston College was extra hungry. They were at home trying to make up for a a pretty ridiculous home loss to Kansas there a couple weeks ago. And they they made it competitive for quite a while. It was tied at 17 at halftime and all this, but Wake was able to get it done the second half. And the Deeks are five and zero at this point, Mike. And we really need to be talking about Wake as a playoff contender. I think. Yeah, that's that's totally rational. Let's go there.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, in all seriousness, Wake crap. Wake crapped. No, that no, they didn't. They cracked the AP top twenty-five. So that's pretty cool.
1: Three times.
0: Uh, yeah, just I, me talking late at night is a problem. Um, the Wake Forest defense was also a problem in this game. They could not stop A.J. Dillon at 23 carries for 159 yards. Anthony Brown, I thought, was pretty good overall. But the difference in this football game between Wake winning and Boston College losing is the fact that Wake Forest turned Anthony Brown over twice. Um, Anthony Brown, 21 of 29. Yeah. Um, yes, okay. Yeah, three times, including a fumble. Um, if you talk about the – the stat line for Anthony Brown, 21-29, 265, two touchdowns. That's good. The two interceptions and a fumble aren't so good. So that's kind of where this game turned. And Wake Forest, to their credit, was able to hang in there offensively. Jamie Newman, another decent day, 21-33, uh, 243, two touchdowns. He did have that one interception. But Jamie Newman, more importantly on the ground, had 102 yards rushing. So – he was a pretty significant player in this football game as he has been all year. He has been the best quarterback in the ACC, Joey. That's not an understatement. He's
1: been without a doubt the best quarterback in the conference this year. That is, that is not a hot take. That is just almost just facts. Um, nope. Yeah. This is, a, this is a win for Wake Forest. Boston college. This is a bit of a rough one. Um, I don't know exactly how the rest of this season is going to go for the Eagles. Um, again, you gave, we, we, they got extra win that we didn't think they were going to get. They EP Tech one, and they just completely gave it back by losing to Kansas and losing this game. Boston College now at three and two. By the way, the Eagles rack up 533 yards in a game and lost. Um, that that's not my Boston College team. That's not mine. Um, I, I I don't know how that happens, but Boston College, you know, the rest of the way. <sighs> at louisville nc state at clemson at syracuse florida state at notre dame at Pittsburgh. what is that five road games of their final seven games and most of those against teams that are playing them boston college may or may not be a bowl game at this point i really got to think if boston does not make a bowl game this year that's got to be it for adazio that's got to be it like <laughs> man i am really disappointed in what this what, this boston college team has, has been so far this year i, I I would like to think you're six or seven under Adazio, that they would be better at this point.
0: Yeah, I would think so too. And, you know, Dan Rubin was right when we previewed Boston College before the year, and he said, look, this is a team that's going to have to be carried by the offense, and he was 100% correct. I wasn't expecting the defense to be quite as bad as it is, um, and that's what's most problematic about Boston College right now. They certainly have some winnable games on their schedule to get to six or seven wins. If they do that, they're more than likely going to keep Adazio because – I don't really understand why you would fire him if he makes another bowl game. Like, who are you going to replace him with is my main question. And, I, you know, I I don't know. It's We're going to have to see what happens with Boston College here down the stretch. They have certainly have some winnable games, given what we've seen out of the rest of the ACC. But it does not look great defensively for the Eagles specifically. And that's the biggest problem I have with them right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Boston College loses the game while gaining the White Claw fence by 93 yards. Woof. Woof. Uh, Wake Forest, 27. Dudes, 24. We'll keep moving here, Mike. Florida State, 31. NC State, 13. This game got out of hand fairly quickly. It was 17-6 at halftime and only snowballed after that. Uh, this was a mess of a game for NC State. Matthew McKay gets pulled uh, as a starting quarterback. This was a non-injury kind of situation. Bailey Hockman comes in. The Florida State transfer, as it turns out. 21-40. of 40, 208 and a score but i i mean nc state they looked really good those first couple of games of the year they really just seem to be reeling at this point i this does not seem like it's going to the, the Wolfpack.
0: pack speaking of a team who's three and two and i'm not sure it's going to make a bowl game you could put nc state in that category as well yep. um they're not very good florida state by the way um We've been tooting this horn for a little while now on the podcast. Like, there's potential here, Joey. There's there's some potential if they put it together for all four quarters. Alex Hornybrook got the star. James Blackman obviously hurt and ended up playing. Hornybrook, 29-40 of 40 for 316 and three touchdowns. And he has been really good when he's played, Joey. That is something to monitor in Um And that's – they have two good quarterbacks, which – That's more than most ACC teams can say at this point. Uh, They have two good quarterbacks. Cam Akers uh, didn't get a ton of carries in this game. Uh, 17 carries for 83 yards, averaged almost five yards a carry there. That's pretty good. And a touchdown. Um, They threw the ball well. They ran the ball well. And they played very good defense against Bailey Hawkman, who – Hey, of course they played good defense against Bailey Hawkman. They know exactly what his strengths and weaknesses are. So good for Florida state. This was a very convincing win. This is the best they've looked from start to finish in a game this season. They put it together for all four quarters. Um, I know NC state is not very good, but for Florida state to overwhelm them athletically and put it together for all four quarters, I think is an encouraging sign for the Seminoles.
1: It is pretty amazing to me to watch the contrast between Alex Hornibrook and James Blackman. Um uh, Alex Hornibrook finishes this game with, on the, on the score sheet, 10 carries for negative 40 yards um, as NC State had eight sacks and 14 tackles for loss in this game. Um, it, it is very clear to me that Hornibrook is what he is, Blackman is what he is, and there's really just not a whole lot of anything that either of those guys have in common from a stylistic standpoint. Uh, Blackman, far more athletic, far stronger arm, all this stuff. Hornybrook, way less athletic, has a way less, you know, way less strong arm, just makes, I I think, makes better decisions, is a little bit more of a refined decision maker, we'll say, Um, but man, he is just a sitting duck back there sometimes, and the fact that Florida State's able to come away with 31 points in this game while also, again, getting up 14 tackles for loss uh, to to NC State, I, I think that's impressive. Hornybrook has this way of if he can kind of scoot out of the rush he just very calmly finds someone down the sideline and it just it works really well for florida state where they've got a whole bunch of receivers that if they can get the ball with a few steps of of room they can turn that into you know 15 20 more yards uh, uh, of yards after the catch so it's it's kind of strikingly different watching this offense with blackman under center versus Hornybrook, but they're making it work. and Again, as you said, the, the potential's there for the Seminoles. It's just can they consistently put it together for four quarters week after week and see if it's going okay for now. Um, that's a couple of of to go in, especially after a, a really nice come from behind this week. But, you know, we'll see if Florida State can get going. I don't really know. Um, yep. No, I totally agree. We'll see what happens here. Yep. Uh, Florida State 31, NC State 13. Uh, two more, Mike. A couple of FCS games, nothing too exciting here uh pittsburgh 17 delaware 14 does that raise any alarm bells in your head uh yeah but Pitt didn't have their starting quarterback kenny pickett
0: but i don't think it really matters jerry because you know what his replacement didn't play all that poorly so
1: i mean it almost
0: mattered they were losing this game going into the fourth quarter mike i meant from the standpoint of this quarterback nick patty who came in and i can't believe that's his real name <laughs> came into replace kenny pickett Comes in to replace yeah. Kenny Pickett and didn't really play all that poorly. I'm not sure if Nick Patty is the one who cost Pittsburgh the game here, or almost cost him the game. Um, 23 of 37, 271, two scores and an interception. That could have been worse from your backup. So I, I don't know. Um, Todd Sibley, 22 carries 106 yards. That's good. Um, they couldn't put the ball in the end zone. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. Um, that's, that's a problem. They were seven of 18 on third down, which is not a good look against an FCS team. Um, you know, Delaware only had 170 total yards to Pittsburgh's 443 total yards. So Pittsburgh outgames the hell out of Delaware in this game and finds a way to only win this game by a field goal. You got to find a way to manufacture points anytime, but especially against an FCS school, not a great look for Pittsburgh there. I it's fine. It's a letdown spot. I, I don't know what pit is. They beat UCF. That was nice. But like it's Delaware. They're in the FCS. What are you doing? I mean, granted, we did say this game would be close on the preview, so shout out us, but this is man.
1: Not not great. Man, the the pit drive chart is a crime scene. Mike, it's keep in mind they, they scored they scored points on three <laughs> offensive drives, one of which was a field goal that came at the tail end of a 17-play, 73-yard drive right at the end of the first half. Uh, There was a field goal kicked from the two-yard line uh, to make sure they had a 10-7 lead going into halftime. But keep that in mind. This is Pitt's drive chart, this entire game, Mike. Turnover on downs, punt, touchdown, punt, interception, field goal. Fumble, miss field goal, punt, punt, touchdown, punt, end of game. Like... What a complete, complete mess. Um, and yeah, I mean, Kenny Pickett hurt, I guess. Pat Narduzzi had some weird press conference comments about how hurt or not hurt Kenny, uh, Kenny Pickett is or isn't. He's acting like he doesn't really know. I highly doubt that he doesn't actually know, but that's not really the point. Um, yeah, this was it, this was almost the most pit thing that could have ever possibly happened, which is, go beat a ranked team that hasn't lost in the regular season in two and a half years and then turn around and lose to an FCS team. I mean, it was, it was almost that Mike, it was so close. Um, so I don't know. Pitt is what Pitt is, I guess. And just, we just got to leave it at that. Yeah. Um, whatever. I mean, it's. Pit Pitt, 17, Delaware, 14. That's it. That's all I got. I, I don't I'm know if done, there's anything I'm else done to with
0: here. I'm Pittsburgh
1: for now. I, we'll try to figure out what they are next week. I just, whatever. The ACC's in a great spot right now, Mike. Uh, last thing, Syracuse 41, Holy Cross 3. Oh, look, a team that handled their business this week. How about that? Every once in a while, you run into one. Tommy DeVito, good game. 19-31 to 31 for 269 and four scores. Uh, had a pick, but not a big deal. Um, Syracuse's defense holds Holy Cross to 138 yards of total offense, which that'll work. Um, this was a, just a complete overwhelming effort from Syracuse, and this is really what we expected them to do.
0: Yeah, Syracuse turned the ball over three times and still won by 38, so that tells you about all you need to know about how bad Holy Cross is.
1: Yep, yeah, not great. Um, all right, Syracuse 41, Holy Cross 3. Uh, Mike, you want to hand out some awards? Let's do it, man. We did not pre-plan these awards whatsoever, so we're going to just on the fly. We'll start with the Go AC moment of the week since I know exactly where that's going. Uh, I believe it was the second quarter of Georgia Tech and Temple. Uh, Georgia Tech's offense finally gets something going. Tobias Oliver uh, with a little bit of a keeper, about a 15-yard run up the middle, and got into the end zone, except right before he gets there, defender pops the ball out. Temple's defender, it falls into the lap of a Temple defender. Touchback, Temple ball. That was the closest that Georgia Tech ever got to scoring points in this game against Temple this weekend. And instead of scoring points... They turned the ball over. So go ACC to that, Jure and uh, Tobias Oliver in particular.
0: Yeah, that wasn't great.
1: No, it was not. Uh, so go ACC to that. Um, you tried a word, Mike. I'm leaning towards Virginia's offense in the second half. Don't hate it. <laughs> I figured you wouldn't. Uh, once again, Virginia's offense in the second half, uh, four plays punt, three plays fumble, three plays or three and out punt that was then fumbled by, by Notre Dame that turned into a turnover on downs, four plays, three plays fumble, return for a touchdown, three plays punt, three plays interception, 12 plays field goal, three plays interception. So they turned the ball over like three or four times in the second half. Uh, They scored zero points or excuse me, three points at a halftime. Virginia, you tried. You tried to uh, do anything that resembled offense in the second half. And really, it was just offensive. They died. Yeah, they did. That's it. That's it. Um, All right. You tried, Virginia. Good on you. Uh, Team of the week, Mike. Duke. Might need to help me here. Yeah, this is probably Duke. Kicking the snot out of Virginia Tech in their own building. On national TV. I mean that's that's a hell of a performance. I was I was wondering a little bit about North Carolina, but they didn't quite finish the drill. So yeah, I think Duke makes sense. Yeah, there.
0: honorable mention for North Carolina. If they won, this is a slam dunk. The fact that they came within a point, I mean, you get an honorable mention for that. They were obviously very good. Um we could have given an honorable mention you tried award also to Phil Longo's goal line play calling there on the two point conversion.
1: <laughs> oh yikes Yeah, running
0: speed option at a short side of the field. Turns out that doesn't work very well. But anyway, um, I think Duke is our team of the week for beating the snot out of Virginia Tech on national TV and making the entire country question how big of a fraud Justin Fuente is. So that's where we're at here.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, and then conference player of the week, Mike, I was leaning towards Alex Hornibrook. Yep. Stepping in, starting casual 29 of 40 for 316 and three scores and and it was inconsistent at times. I mean NC State's defense was kind of making complete a complete disaster of Florida State's offensive line at times. But then again, who has not made a total disaster of them? So I thought it was a really, really good performance from Alex Hornibrook, especially stepping in as the the backup for an injured James Blackman. So I think he gets the uh, ACC player of the week here from us.
0: He does. And one guy I want to mention whose stats didn't necessarily jump off the page, but I was really impressed with in the North Carolina Clemson game. I failed to bring this up when we were recapping the game because I was so focused, so hyper-focused on Clemson, is Chaserat for North Carolina at linebacker. He had a sack. He had two tackles for loss. He led the team in total tackles with seven. He had three total tackles. He was living in the Clemson backfield. He had three different quarterback hurries. He had a couple passes defended as well. He was very good in that game for North Carolina and makes you wonder why he wasn't playing linebacker his entire tenure at North Carolina.
1: Yeah. Wait, see, you just listed off a bunch of defensive stats. I thought Chad Surratt was a quarterback. I know. Who would have thought? <laughs> well, perhaps he was. Perhaps he was, but no longer. Um, yeah. So a couple uh, we'll get co-ACC players of the week to Alex Honeybrook and Chad Surratt, offensive and defensive. How about that? with it all right there we go all right uh mike that's all i got on week five you uh, got anything else you ready to get out of here nope we'll go on
0: move on to the preview um again hopefully you all enjoyed this audio i think it's going to come out okay we'll find out but
1: oh we'll find out that's that's one way of putting it um so we are going to get out of here it's been a good week five um we're going to come back and preview week six here shortly um I think both of us will continue to be playing road games, which will have undeniably positive impacts on audio quality. So um, we, we appreciate those who really, uh, really value that audio quality here. But in any case, we're going to get out of here um, until next time. You guys can reach us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB and together we're at BC podcast ACC. You can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address, no demand basketball conference, podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, You can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, Anchor, Overcast, all those good places. Please go find us there uh, and uh, subscribe and rate and review and do all those good things. We really appreciate it. Uh, And Mike, more particularly, you want to tell them where they can find us on social medias?
0: Facebook. Facebook.com slash Basketball Conference Rate Review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey.
1: Please do. Please do. We appreciate those who have. Um, Thank you so much for those who have downloaded this episode and who have shared us with your friends and all these good things uh, we really appreciate those who are helping us to build this audience uh, of the basketball conference family we'll say mike that's all i got you ready to get out of here
0: on to whatever week comes up next week six
1: six yes sace um as soon as you get done counting the fingers on the first hand the, the next one that comes up is six so um that's analysis Yeah. That's what people tune tune in here for. So we're going to get out of here. We're going to come back in preview week six and uh, we'll do that soon. All right, man. All right. Well, until next time for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until then go ACC.